This podcast contains spoilers, explicit language, and is not meant for anyone younger than 13. Do not harass any of the names mentioned in this episode. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Welcome back to John vs. Film, and today we are continuing with Lupin the Third, the month of it, me watching these films, yeah. But <laughs> I, I'm sorry, that is a catchy theme. I'm going to continue singing it for every episode this month. I will stop. Or next month. But yeah, this is the third installment. And I decided I want to take a look at the first Loop in the Third movie. And no, it is not Mystery of Mamo. It is actually Loop in the Third. Strange Psychokinetic Strategy. And also the own, the first live action Loop in the Third movie. Yeah, this movie came out in 1974. This is the only live-action movie that I've seen of Lupin the Third. Let me say that. I almost said only live-action one, but no, that is incorrect. There's another one that came out, I want to say the mid-2000s, late-2000s, you know, somewhere around there. Maybe even the early 2010s. I, I haven't, you know, done much research on that one, sadly to say, but yeah... I, uh, this is my second time actually watching this movie. I've watched it once before. I own it on DVD. And yeah, this, like I said, came out in 1974. And it is directed by Takashi Tsuboshima. And is written by Hiroshi Nagano. Uh, these names I've never heard of before. And I looked at their IMDb credits, and I'm not familiar with any of the other works that they did. So, yeah, and by the way, I'm pretty sure I forgot to mention who directed and ran the Island of Assassins movie, so I apologize. I I gotta get better on addressing the directors and writers for this movie, like, for the movies I'm talking about. But yeah, so... Lupin the Third, Strange Psychokinetic Strategy. It is definitely definitely um, an interesting movie. And before I go off and start off with what I like and what I dislike, I gotta mention two things. First, there is no John vs. Critics for this episode once again. And the reason being for this one is that this is a very much one of the more, like, very much an obscure title. Even in the terms of the loop in the third, you know, movies, this is pretty obscure. Like there's only three reviews on IMDb. So there's no point of trying to find a very bad faith review It's just, that's not going to happen for a lot of these more obscure niche movies. It, it just isn't, especially, you know, an older one, like that came out in 1974. So there's that. And, this one I gotta mention. It, it's just uh, this is the first thing I like. Okay, so the opening credits to this movie 
it's it's unlike the other Lupin the Third opening cards, even unlike Castle of Cagliostro, where in that one I love, you know, the slow down, very nice, you know, opening, you know, where we just get to breathe in the art, you know, just take in the art, I should say, not breathe it in. Yeah, there a little secret of mine is that I actually snort art, like I take a little straw and I find some paintings on the market, you know, and I, I just like to snort the paint off the paintings. Not fresh paint, but paint that's already been dried and stuff. <laughs> okay, but but seriously though, but other than the Castle Cagliostro, Lupin the Third opening credits are typically known for being very, or at least from the movies I've seen, they are very much over-the-top action, like, yeah, we're ready for another loop in the third adventure. Let's go. It gets you hyped. And this is not the case for this movie. The The opening credits here are, are very mundane. Like, very mundane. And I'm going to touch upon the music more later on in the episode. But yeah, it has this, like, weird just cheery you know music just la di da la di da you know kind of thing you can find it on youtube uh to the soundtrack it's listed as open thirds theme but yeah and the opening credits though we got that you know very cheery easy going song as you know well first of all the movie does start off with lupin stealing someone's car but it's after that when we start getting to the credits part, it switches over to that mundane part, and that's where you know Lupin gets into a car accident, you know, and he because he gets distracted by seeing Fujiko in a police car. And by the way, this is the first time Fujiko and Lupin are meeting in the movie and in this Lupin the Third timeline, or I don't know. How to say, but yeah, this, you know, you know, the opening credits just features Lupin and Fujiko's, you know, first interaction with Fujiko in a police car, you know, being transported to a prison. To, well, I should, police car, more like you know, like it's I'm no, I don't mean like a normal police car. I mean like, you know, the typical van. You know, that you use to, that movies use to have prisoners be transported and all that. So, yeah. It is very funny, I will say that. But, yeah, it's just so light and easygoing, and Lupin doesn't really do much other than just chase after Fujiko. And then declares that, hey, I'm going to break you out of prison. J just you watch me. And,. Yeah, and the reason it's I have it as something I have to mention is because I don't know if I like or dislike this. It's so weird. I mean, granted, the movie is called Strange Psychokinetic Strategy, so I guess I'm expected to see strange things. But yeah, it's just, I don't know. Maybe we've been, or I've been spoiled by Lupin, <laughs> the third movie's post-Castle of Cagliostro. By Castle Cagliostro. 
So it is just so bizarre. And I just felt like I had to mention it. But anyways, like always, I start off with what I like. And then I go into what I dislike. And then I'll go into my overall thoughts. So here we go. What I like about Strange Psychokinetic Strategy. Well, the first thing is the humor is very on point here. It is a pretty hilarious movie. No doubt. A lot of the com- There's a lot of slapstick, you know, comedy, as well as some little meta comedy. It's, there's some, like, s- bit of satire on the, you know, I guess the James Bond spy movie craze that was going on around that time because they have the like in the movie they have the scene the villain's headquarters they play a VHS tape that has the leader's message like here's what I want you to do you know and then he says the this tape is going to explode you know like and you know it starts off countdown with 10 everybody in the building runs out they're hiding behind their cars. They hear an explosion. They're like, "What? Wait, the house is the house is still there. What's going on?" They look around. Oh, there, there's a volcano. Huh. Weird. And then we cut back to the tape still counting down. And when it counts down, you know, it kind of says "finito," and the guy, the leader, said, "Yeah, so this tape doesn't have the ability to explode." Could you guys do that yourself? <laughs> well, there's that. That was pretty funny. Uh, and yeah, Zenigata was a real tree. He was a very much a slap, like a point of slapstick comedy. He gets hurt a lot in this movie. You know, there's a lot of visual gags going on. Uh, even in the opening credits, like I mentioned before. They they just kind of point out how wacky this world is. Like, okay, like even at the beginning, the comedy was just like, you know, this couple's like walking down the parking lot and Lupin drives by with his own car. The woman's like, "Oh, that's a nice car." Wait a minute, that's my car. What the, <laughs> you know? Uh, but even a little bit after Lupin bumps into uh, a couple of cops where he's looking to steal their motorcycle and how he does it he's like hey there's a naked dead woman you know by the riverbank and the cops point out that there's a naked woman (laughs) they don't focus like oh there's a dead naked woman and their response is naked whoa you know and they get all excited (laughs) It's just like wow, you know. It, the cops are kind of like idiots, and this, I mean, this is a wacky, wacky world, and they establish that very early on. That you know, what type of movie and what type of world this really is, and yeah, there's a one other joke I want to mention, but I will mention in my very next point, which is. That this movie is actually pretty faithful to the source material, which is the manga, not the anime. The anime, like, part one did come out before this movie. But, yeah, this is definitely more 
I guess, worried about the manga rather so the anime. You gotta remember, part one was not the most well-received. You know, like, it is very historically important as, you know, being the first adult-oriented anime or just at least anime that was aimed towards an adult audience in a, like, more, you know, like, mainstream way, not just, I don't mean, like, adult as in, well, the triple X variety, but you get what I mean. Some like, a Rick and Morty, you know, or whatnot. But, yeah, it was, you know, I, if I remember correctly, it was, like, somewhat mixed received, you know, the part one, but... I could be remembering that one, but anyways, yeah, it's mo but the faithfulness is mostly with the tone and the characters. Like I mentioned before, it this movie's pretty humorous. I mentioned a couple jokes, but even then, there's like a couple of references to like the manga that they point out. Uh, for example, in the manga, because of the censorship rules, you know, Japan's, you know. Notorious censorship rules when it comes to the. <laughs> uh, what Monkey Punch did in the manga was he would literally transform the characters into the male and female sex symbols and have the symbols do it. So in the movie, there's a part of the movie where assassins are trying to take on Lupin and. You know, they got, you know, snipers are looking through their scopes, you know, and Lupin's about to get on with a woman, and they see Lupin transform to a male sex symbol. And the thing is, they are so confused, like, wait, what? Yeah, so in this world, that's what's actually happening. It's not just for us, the audience, but it's literally happening, you know, through like these assassins perspective and they're just like what what is going on yo did, did, did you see this what is yeah and also it's very wacky oh and also the characters they definitely feel like their characters like lupin feels like lupin fujiko feels like fujiko senegata feels like senegata jigen Mostly feels like himself. I'll get to that later on. But yeah. And also just kind of the. Like I mentioned before. The tone you know with the hijinks. All that. And also yeah. They don't shy away from the more. Perverted. You know aspects of Lupin. You know where he sexually assaults. By the way. Before I go forward. Uh, trigger warnings. All that there is gonna be talk. This, you know, just be mindful that I'm gonna get into more, guess, trigger warning areas of, you know, sexual assault and all that because Lupin the Third as a franchise does, or at least very early on in the 70s and 60s, does touch upon that. But yeah, anyway, like, uh, so it does keep in line with that where Lupin being, you know, like a hound dog, a very perverted gentleman, you know, he, one of the assassins that goes after him is actually a group of, you know, singers 
they dress up as nuns. They, um, you know, remove their disguise and they're like, you know, they start doing a song that you can hear through the trailer, and which is a very catchy song. I will say that. And they start to gang up on Lupin. Lupin, of course, removes his pants. He removes his pants a lot in this movie. <laughs> but yeah, as he is fighting with, you know, the ladies, he pretty much sex sexually assaults them, you know, by like groping them and all that, you know, and pretty much he scares off the assassins. Well, here's how how he finally scares off the assassin. So, like, uh, because he has his pants down, one of the, I think the ladies they were fighting with swords, what happens, one of them accidentally cuts Lopin's, you know, boxer briefs out, so his little buddy down below is kind of, you know, just out in the open, <laughs> and all the assassins that are just attacking, they're like, they go, Ew! And run away. And Lupin is like so confused. Like, wait, what's going on? And he looks down and then he realizes, and he has this like embarrassed face on. It's very, very good. Uh my next point of what I like about this movie is the acting, and I mean this for everyone. Everyone in this movie did a fantastic job. They because. This required a lot of over-exaggeration because of what the movie was going for. And there was a lot of, you know, very expressive, you know, acting going on to even, like, the minor characters. Like, the two cops I mentioned in the opening credits. You know, I felt like, yeah, it's everyone's overacting, essentially. But it's purposeful overacting. If you get what I'm saying. Essentially, it's like... You know... Uh, shoot. I, I don't know where I was going for but... Yeah. It, it's supposed to be overacting. It's supposed to be exaggerated. I guess that's what my point. But even the main cast... Uh, like I said before... They feel like their characters. The actor who plays Lupin... He definitely gets down Lupin's you know, mannerisms... Pretty well. From being that cool, confident to that wacky, you know, perverted gentleman that we know. Jigen, he's that cool guy that we know. Um, Fujiko, she's that femme, like mischievous femme fatale that is always leading on Lupin. And Zenigata, the actor who plays Zenigata was great. You know, he was that hot tempered inspector that is just wants to capture Lupin at all costs. And yeah. Uh the action in this movie is another thing I like. Because uh the action here it falls more into like comedy action, so they are able to blend the comedy and the action pretty well. And it's mostly comedic, I will say that, but I, I like how they went about it. And the final point of what I like about this movie is that it feels like a live-action cartoon. And this is like all kind of like a combination of what I've said before, but yeah, they do some like things that are just out of the ordinary 
for a live action movie where it's just like, yeah, that doesn't make much sense. But in terms of what they're going for with this live action cartoon aesthetic, you get some more wacky things. Uh, for example, like Lupin throws a dagger at the assassins ever spying him with that lady that, you know, I mentioned before and hanging off that, you know, dagger you know well first of all the dagger hits the tree next to the assassin and the assassin's like ah you missed but on that dagger there's a little rope it has a little tnt you know swinging by and when it explodes it does you know the assassin he gets that you know well first of all before it explodes the assassin's hair he goes up you know and that shocked you know, over exaggerated, you know, way, and then when it explodes, you know, he's covered in sulfur and all that. You know, kind of like what happens with Wiley e. Coyote. Another example of live act of him feeling like a live action cartoon is that, you know, uh there's a running gag where Lupin you know, tries to kiss Fujiko, but Fujiko she gets a little playing card that she snucks up. She throws it onto, like... And the first time it happens, it's a tree branch. It fall, You know, it... Cuts off the tree branch on top, and it falls right on Lupin. And Lupin just kind of, like, freezes in place. You know? With that, like, with a dumb expression. Kind of like a Tom and Jerry cartoon of how that would happen. You kind of expect, you know, a little goosebump to start forming on top of Lupin. Uh, other than that, you know, there's during the prison escape scene, you know, where Lupin's trying to take, you know, Fujiko out. You know, I'm sorry, not take her out. <laughs> Whoa, Lupin's not the assassin here, <laughs> but get her out of prison. You know, he's about to kick down the door, but then Fujiko just, you know, opens it casually, and Lupin just, you know. Freezes in place with the, you know, midair on the kick, and Fujiko says it's open, and Lupin just falls straight down. So yeah, there's that. And one last joke that I really love is there's a car chase with, you know, between Zenigata and like in the movie Lupin goes on a high stealing jewels, and there's a car chase between, you know, the cops and. Jigen, who has the jewels in the vehicle. And, you know, he's dodging me. Well, Zenigata, he's in the back seat of a police car with a policewoman who's driving it. And Zenigata's just getting, like, really, you know, him, you know, just, like, into the car chase, trying to just, his goal of capturing Lupin, like, I'm going to capture you, Lupin. He starts (laughs) undressing the woman in front but she's getting like turned on by him she's like oh inspector and then Zenigata realizes what's going on like well whoa, whoa, whoa. hey I'm, I'm a bachelor and he's like whoa, okay stay focused stay on the road on the road please stay focused and they crash and and when they like uh, get out the the police woman and Zenigata they switch clothes and also they did keep Zenigata's army of policemen that follow him. I love that. 
I love that very much. Uh, did, like, like I said, this is a very funny movie. Um, but unfortunately for this movie, I gotta go into my dislikes and criticisms, and there is quite a bit. The these are ones like some of them are ones that really bring the movie down. Unfortunately, uh, for starters, oh, you know, some of the joke. Okay, let me just say this: some of the jokes have obviously not aged as well. This is this movie came out in the mid seventies, Japan, so and Lupin back then in seventies and sixties. He's not the same Lupin we all know today. He's not the gentleman thief. He was very much a perverted, you know, very... He he did some awful things, we'll say that. You know... And anyway, just to quickly mention a scene, you know, how he mentioned, you know, the running gag of something falling, hitting the head... You know, and all that, you know, and the character freezes in place, you know, essentially being unconscious like that. Well, anyway, second time it happens, it's a street lamp, but Lupin sees it and it hits Fujiko on the head. See, that part's funny because that's a little comeuppance, but then Fujiko falls, you know, down and then Lupin starts to undress and it doesn't get far. I will say that. It doesn't go to extreme, but you can see where everything was leading up to. Yeah. Like, before, and by in the Lupin fashion, before Lupin can actually do something, Fujiko snaps out of it and kicks Lupin in the balls. But, yeah, they're just, you know, little bits like that where obviously times have changed. So. This, let's just say that something like that would not go, you know, too well today. You know, some of the jokes, I like like I said. Uh, my next, next point is, you know how I mentioned how the characters were done really well and all that. But you have you listened, to, like, have you checked the, I guess, did you caught the... That I never mentioned Goemon. Well, yeah, there's a reason for that. Goemon isn't in the movie. Like, what the heck? There's no reason for Goemon not to be in the movie. Uh, Goemon's an awesome character, and his absence kind of sucks. And, yeah, even though this is the first Lupin movie, Goemon existed in the Lupin you know, franchise before. I mean, part one... Of the Lupin the Third anime came out before this movie, so I don't know why they axed off Goemon for this movie. And as part of this, you know, point with characters, I mentioned for the most part, Jigen's character was done well, but there are some things I disliked about this version of Jigen, and that being, you know, Jigen is a supposed, you know. He's loyal to the Lupin Empire, which I will get to in a little bit. But yeah, he tries to find Lupin because Lupin's the heir to this criminal empire. And he acts, at the very beginning, he acts more like a servant to Lupin. 
And Lupin tells him to cut that out. We're equals. Yeah, because the thing is, Lupin and Jigen are partners. Jigen is not just Lupin's sidekick or just her, you know, one of his men. No, Jigen is very much a partner. He's his own character. So, you know, I guess that blind loyalty to Lupin in that way, you know, in a way of, you know, just servant and master was I didn't really care for. But I will say it gets better on as the movie goes and he feels more like his Jigen as he gets critical of Fujiko and he gets critical of Lupin's actions as well. And he still plays off as the cool gunsman with very good aim. And but yeah, I just gotta mention that. Uh my next point I wanna talk about for why I dislike is some of the music. And now I mentioned this when uh, I was talking about the opening credits. The what is li- listed as Lupin the Third scene for this movie, that la di da, nice, very happy go lucky music. It, I don't like it. I like first of all, it makes the movie feel pretty cheap. Not gonna lie. But that's, uh, you know, with some of the music, the music kind of feels cheap in that regard, especially that song. And what's annoying about that song is that it's played through, like, several times throughout the movie, you know, and there's different, like, versions of it. But yeah, it's like, you know, uh, according to this YouTube video, let me count how many times. Let's see, a one. Two, three, uh, four, five, and six, six times throughout this movie. Oh. And some of the times where it's played, it's not, it doesn't feel right. It Okay, in retrospect, yeah, we might have all been very spoiled by Yuji uh, Ono's. And sorry about that. The train decides, hey, I want to interrupt your recording right now. So if you can hear the train, sorry about that, yeah. I live by train track and I can't really control the trains. So sorry if you heard that. But <laughs> anyway, like I said, We've been spoiled by Yuji Ono's fantastic work on the Loop in the Third franchise, but here, he's not the composer for it. Which, you know, yeah, this came out before Part 2, and Yuji Ono really was, you know, the composer for Lupin. But still, this movie could have done better in the music department, and some of the music choices for some of the scenes, it was, it definitely felt like that song, the, 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 I can't really remember the tune for it. I, I was going to go into like Mario theme, but uh, yeah, it's just, you know, it's like piano kind of thing. It doesn't fit with Lupin the Third as a franchise or does not, does it not fit with like some of the more 
what you would feel like should be more action intense scene, and it isn't. Uh, this, you know, these next two points, they kind of are the same, but they're different parts of it. So, first of all, like, so, second to last point I want to say for my dislikes criticism is that this is a Lupin the Third origin movie. So, this is how we get to find out how Lupin, Jigen, Fujiko, and Senegata all meet. You know, I mean, that part, though, that's been done in the Lupin the Third franchise before. It's not necessarily that part that I'm more, you know, if about, but it's more so we find out about Lupin's past, you know, like we find out about the Lupin Empire that he's ascended from, but we get to learn how he was raised. He was raised in an orphanage who decided to, you know, pretty much bail it at the age of 15. We get to find too, out too much about Lupin. And also, with this being an origin story for Lupin being a master of thief, he doesn't... So, like, he does go stealing a lot of stuff and all that, but by the end of the movie, he still hasn't received, you know, kind of that master of thief reputation for one and two. There's just moments where Lupin just feels very non-ambitious. You know, which is weird. He's only ambitious when it comes to he wants to impress Fujiko. You know, and he there's like moments for okay, I will get to some of the positives like mentioned where it's still faithful in the terms that Lupin's not really in it for the money, but he's rather in it for the fun. But yeah, again, there's moments where Lupin's just like you know, when he's bored he just kind of like, eh, I'm just gonna turn myself in. Yeah, he literally turns himself in in the movie, it was after the montage of assassins, but yeah, he turns himself in, you know, to the cops just because, you know, meh. I don't know. But, yeah. And I will say, though, in the origin story, it was still funny to see Baby through Teen Lupin, how he was acting as a you know, from a little baby, you know, in the orphanage to when he left as a teen. Yeah, like, even Baby Lupin was stealing everybody else's, you know, bottles and all that. <laughs> yeah, so Lupin was very much Lupin from the day he was born. Uh, but yeah, and then this last point is that the story and writing overall, other than, you know, the comedy parts, the comedy's great. It the the rest of it though it's a mess. Like first of all, there isn't like one big heist that's like dominating this movie, which it feels like it needed. And there's only like this one big piece of treasure that comes out, literally comes up at the end of the movie, near the end of the movie. It's like oh now we care about you know Lupin trying to steal those. But yeah, it goes into this convoluted thing with the Lupin criminal empire, Jigen being a part of that, you know, dead empire, and this, you know, the villains of the movies, the Mascherone family or something like that, you know, the Mascherone empire or whatever. Yeah, 
or they get, you know, you know, where they want this. But again, the goals are kind of just established for this, you know, national treasure item. You know, it comes up way too late in the movie. Uh, and then there's this part where they keep mentioning psychokinetic, psychokinesis, and whatever. Yeah, that's never really fully explained. They tat touch upon it, you know, with the treasure being like this unlocks the mysteries of psychokinetic, you know, powers that humans haven't unlocked. That's what the villain says. But Lupin mentions like, oh, it's part, of, you know, why he gets able to get away with stuff. Oh, it's part of my psychokinesis. It's like, what is this? You're not mentioning us. I don't think that's how this works. I don't think how any that's how any of this works. Yeah, and. You know, on top of all, you know, just not everything connects very well. From you know, again, you know, it feels like a series of stories, and then finally, the ending. The ending sucks. I'm sorry. This this is a very anti-Lupin ending. So, okay, first of all, Lupin goes and saves, you know, Fujiko from the Empire. And then they get stuck on this building that's falling off in, you know, edge of cliff, you know, and <clears throat> there's this, you know, whole comedy scene of Lupin and Fujiko. They were about to have a love scene, but then they get, you know, interrupted by the house cliff falling off, you know, and all that. Meanwhile, the criminal empire, they're, they managed to ambush the police from transporting it. And then Jigen ends up being the one that takes the treasure from them, distracting the empires, uh, you know, the criminals, and then the criminals get captured by the cops. And then Jigen ends up saving Lupin and Fujiko from the, you know, building. They're hanging on to the treasure that's being held by a magnet. Yeah, Jigen's flying a helicopter with a magnet rope on at the bottom of it with the treasure that's in a metal case and anyway they end up dropping it off at where the treasure was supposed to be so and they don't even take the treasure or whatnot they don't even attempt to being Lupin and Fujiko are just glad they're alive but still and yeah and then the movie goes with you know the police general I guess telling Zenigata that you know this letter that's like it's thanks to Lupin that the treasure is saved, and he wants to give this letter to Lu have Zeniga give this letter to Lupin, and Zeniga ends up chasing Lupin and all that. Uh, you know, and that and the movie ends. Yeah, this is a very much it's very anticlimactic, and it also has that lame do 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 you know kind of theme going on. You know, it's just like, and what's weird is like if you look at the trailer. It hinted that the scene was going to be a little different. But yeah, this is not a grand Lupin, you know, climax. This is very anticlimactic. You know, you know, a very anticlimactic, you know, ending for Lupin in general. I It's just so... Yeah, you know, unfortunately, like... I will admit, by the time it was getting to the ending of this movie, I was starting to get pretty bored of this movie as well. It's a, 
it's a short movie, an hour twenty two minutes, but still, it, it, the ending was definitely unsatisfactory, and it felt like Jigen did all the work, and the title character Lupin didn't do Jack. You know, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, let's go into my overall thoughts. So, overall, Lupin the Third. The strange psychokinetic strategy it is a hilarious movie. That it that is unfortunately held back by a very weak and messy story. It felt like the filmmakers had great ideas for scenes, but couldn't effectively put them together because yeah, there's a lot of funny scenes, a lot of funny moments, but they they just feel like a scrambled jigsaw puzzle that the where really the pieces didn't fit, but they made but they tried to force them to fit. So yeah, there there felt like no overall structure to this movie or just no end goal for it. They just had like, oh, we have some great ideas for these scenes, but not necessarily a great idea for a movie. So yeah. Anyway, that is it for this episode of John vs. Film. Uh, if you are... Listening to this on YouTube, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, tell me what I'm doing wrong, what I'm doing right, if I'm doing anything right, I should say. You can also find me outside of YouTube. You can find me on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podbean.com. And all the links to my socials are in the description and show notes down below. And... Thank you all for listening, and I hope you guys have a fantastic day. Take care.